Well, we have been dealing with the undeniable markings of a believer. Well, we've talked about the fact that every believer ought to have those marks that they represent and show forth to the world that points to the fact very clearly that they are part of the family of God. This morning, I want us to step into the fourth marking, and that is the marking of separation. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. If ever there was a word that brought about a misunderstanding, it is the word separation. I mean, you can see that in the way different people take this to mean. I mean, you can look at the, the Amish group, how they think of this particular passage and think of separation as removing themselves from anyone and everyone. It's us, our group, we bring ourselves together and no one else is welcome in. And yet, if we look at it in this light, if we just take this particular passage of Scripture and we do not look at the context of the passage or the context of the New Testament, then we can maybe think of it in that way. We can probably draw a misunderstanding from this passage. But it's so important for us to understand what was going on in the Corinthian church. You see, in verses 11 through 13, Paul makes a plea to these Corinthian believers. He says, love us, love us. In other words, this is what you used to do. You used to love us in the body of Christ. You used to love us as people who brought to you the message of Jesus Christ. You used to hold God in high regard, but now something's happened. Something's happened. Later in this passage, Paul says in verse 17... He says, do not touch anything that's unclean. Other translations refer to this and say, he's telling them, do not touch their unclean things. Paul was saying, at one point, you had this spiritual separation about you. You had God in the position that God needed to be. He was first and foremost in your life. But something happened over the course of time. Over the course of time, you began to look around at what was going on in the world. You began to see what things the world had to offer, these unclean things that Paul mentions. It's not that they were necessarily evil or that they were necessarily wicked, but what was happening, the reason they were unclean, was because it was taking the eyes of the Corinthians off of God and putting them on something else. The problem for them was there was no separation. The Bible tells us in a couple of different places, the, the Bible uses this same word. It's translated to mean set apart, to sanctify, or to be holy. So when we begin to think about the process of being holy, of being sanctified, of being set apart, we have to understand that it goes beyond an outward action. So many times 
we look at something that's going on in a person's life and we see what what they're doing and we think to ourselves well that person is very spiritual that person is very holy <laughs> the problem though with us judging an outward action is that we don't really know what's going on in the heart I mean that's the problem with us judging and being an interpreter of people's motives we don't know motives we don't understand why people do what they do and so it's very important then that we take on the perspective that if I'm truly going to be scripturally separated, if I'm going to separate myself from those things which would prevent me from loving God the way I should, from keeping God in the position that God deserves to be in in my life, if I'm going to separate myself from that, it's got to begin with a change in the attitude of my heart. You see, it's not simply an outward action but it's an internal change this morning as we work our way through this particular passage and this particular issue of separation please understand that while it is misunderstood by many it doesn't have to be misunderstood by us so this morning I want to ask you three questions the three questions that I intend to answer along the way the first question is a simple one you might expect us to start here because of the way we've done so in this series as we've gone But the first question is simply who would be examples of biblical separation for us I mean, if we were to look through the scriptures who would we point to and say oh now there is that's what it looks like look at this person's life and you'll see a picture of biblical separation I want to give you three examples, two of which are probably going to blow your mind at first. You're going to say, how in the world do you get that out of them? But please hang with me. Allow me to build a case before you pass judgment on it, okay? The first person is obvious, the Apostle Paul. It seems like every week we talk about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said, I bear the marks of the Lord Jesus in my body. He had the physical scars of suffering for his faith in Jesus Christ. But it was quite obvious to anyone looking on and anyone now reading scriptures in regards to the Apostle Paul that he also bore those spiritual marks that made it very clear that he was part of the family of God. And when we look at the matter of separation, we find that it's no different in the Apostle Paul's life. Now, for those who knew the Apostle Paul before he came to know Jesus Christ and they were watching his life, and they were seeing what was going on, they would have definitely said, now there is a man that's separated. That is, if they didn't understand the concepts that we're going to be talking about this morning. I mean, because the Apostle Paul was a very strict law follower. I mean, he followed it to the very letter, and he was of the strictest sect of the Pharisees. You remember the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the people who proclaimed Jesus could not be the Messiah because he went out and hung around sinners. He was dealing with people that were notorious criminals and sinful people. He could not possibly be the Messiah. Why? Because they had a wrong interpretation of separation. In their minds, separation meant just like the Pharisee standing on the street corner next to the publican praying to God, God, I thank you that I'm not like this despicable sinner standing next to me. I'm isolated. I'm protected from that. And yet it was Jesus Christ who was teaching us through the process of his life and his example and his words, I want you to go into the world. I want you to go where the sinful people are and I want you to tell them about me. I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to be my witness. I want you to go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. 
You know what? It's impossible to do that. It's impossible to follow the New Testament teachings if we are not willing to be out among people that are sinful just like we are. Just like we are. But once Paul came to know Jesus Christ, everything changed in his life. Everything. All of a sudden, Paul went from a person who was persecuting believers because they were dealing with sinners and they were following Jesus Christ's example to now being one of them. Now, all of a sudden, Paul was going into towns and villages and he was teaching Jesus Christ. He was preaching and compelling. He said, by all means, I'm trying to win people to Jesus Christ. He would go to the temple and talk to the Jews first. When the Jews would reject him, he would then go to the Gentiles, the people that before he would have had nothing to do with. Now, Paul understood what biblical separation was you see Paul had been set apart to serve God and he had God first and foremost in his life and as God was there then all of these other things came in line as well that meant that he had a heart to serve God and God was more important than the physical scars he would he would gain through his life God was more important than the beatings and the suffering that he would be subjected to as a result of his faith in Jesus Christ God was so important that he was willing to go where before he wouldn't go Paul had learned to separate himself from his previous life so that God could be in the position that God deserves to be in. Biblical separation. The second person is going to throw you a little bit, especially at first, but the second example of biblical separation we find in the Word of God is one that I want to bring out, the prodigal son. Maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. But the prodigal son went to his dad and he said, I want you to give me my inheritance now. I know you're still alive and I know you're still doing well, but I want you to go ahead and give me my part of the inheritance so that I can have it in my hands. And the dad, to his surprise, I believe, did that. Gave him what he was asking for. And the son eventually took all of that, transferred it into cash. The Bible says that he went into a distant land and he began to live a very wicked life. I mean, he was hanging out with prostitutes. He was doing everything in the book. This guy was wasting his money on what the Bible calls riotous or worthless living. You could look at his life and you could say, well, now there's an outward expression of separation. I mean, he had separated himself from his family. Certainly, there's an outward picture of separation here, but it was certainly not a scriptural picture. The Bible tells us that eventually his money ran out. Eventually, he ran out of the funds in order to keep doing the things that he was doing. And it wasn't long until a famine hit the land and he found himself in a very bad situation. In fact, he was feeding hogs, trying to eke out a little bit of a living so that he could get something to eat for himself. But then one day, the Word of God tells us that he came to himself. He, he finally woke up and he said, you know what? I'm much better off in my father's house. I've got to get back to the place where my father is priority. I've got to get back to the place to where he is the most important and I am set apart to serve him. And he went back and he went back with the intention of saying, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I just want to be your hired servant. Just let me serve you. He had the attitude of service, being set apart to serve God. He had the father back in the proper position. Biblical separation. He had separated himself from the old lifestyle. That old lifestyle was something that there was no way he could keep the father where the father needed to be in his life. Couldn't be done. Biblical separation. The third one is also going to take you by surprise, I believe. It's the maniac of Gadara. 
the maniac of Gadara. Now here is an outward picture of separation. Maybe you know his story. This was a guy who literally lived a wild man's life. I mean, the Bible says that he ran naked through the tombs. He made his home among the dead people. No one could control him. No one could tame him. This was a guy that no one wanted to be around, and he didn't want to be around anyone. He had completely separated himself. But there was nothing scriptural about his separation at that point. But then he met Jesus. And there was such a drastic change in his life at the point that he met Jesus. The Bible says that the village people came out to see him. And they found him clothed, sitting, and in his right mind. Something that they had not seen ever in the life of this man. The people were so afraid of what had happened. You remember what they told Jesus? Just, just go. Leave us. Don't stay here any longer. And, and this guy who had been referred to as the maniac of Gadara went to Jesus and he said, Jesus, can I go with you? Will you let me go with you? And remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, no, I want you to go up into the mountain as far as you can go. Find a place where no one lives and I want you to exist there all by yourself. It's not what Jesus said, is it? Jesus said, I want you to go back to the villages where you came from. Those people who have seen you in your previous condition and now have seen such a drastic change in your life. And I want you to tell them the wonderful things that God has done for you. You know what? Had Jesus had the understanding that separation meant isolation, Jesus would have never told him to do this. But Jesus understood that biblical separation meant that we separate ourselves from those things that will affect our relationship with God. And we get those things out of our life so that we can serve God in a proper function and a proper fashion. That was biblical separation. The second question now. What is it that we are to be separated from? From what should we be separated? I mean, if we look at our lives and we examine them closely... What is it that we would find in our lives that is affecting our relationship with God? I want to just throw four things out for your consideration. The first one is this. And really, when I tell you this first one, you're probably going to remark, you know what, uh, you're contradicting yourself. Again, allow me to make a case for what I say before you pass judgment on it, okay? First thing that we separate ourselves from is sinful companions. Sinful companions. Your thought may be, well, now, Tom, you just got through saying that I'm supposed to be where sinful people are so that I can bring them to Christ. And you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. So it looks like there's a contradiction here, but let's think about it for just a second. If I'm hanging around people that are more important to me than God, then I've got to separate myself from them. Now, how do I know they're more important to me than God? Well, because God's supposed to have the priority in my life. He's supposed to be in a place of authority in my life. He's supposed to be the ultimate authority in my life. But if I begin to elevate my friends to a place that devalues God's authority in my life, then I'm making them my God. If they're causing me or encouraging me to do something that is sinful, it's going to create a problem between me and God. It's going to affect my relationship with God. Then there's got to be a separation from that group. But now here's the good part. You know, I don't believe that we have to be rude. We have to be unkind. We have to be unloving. I believe with everything that's within me, this is a problem that's going to take care of itself most of the time. 
Most of the time, because here's what happens. When I give God that priority in my life and I put him where he's supposed to be and I set a, I'm set apart to serving him, I begin to pour my, my heart and my resources into serving God in the way that he deserves to be served, what's going to happen? My friends are going to see that and eventually they're going to come to the conclusion he doesn't do what he used to do. He doesn't go where he used to go. He doesn't party the way he used to party. And all of a sudden, they're going to begin to pull away from me. Most of them. Most of them. Most of the time, this is going to take care of itself because this group of people is really not going to want to have a lot to do with me when my message is Jesus loves you. There will be a few of my friends, and I've seen this in my own life. I've seen this through your lives and your testimonies. But there will be a few of those people that will watch what's happening in my life. And instead of pulling away, they will be drawn toward it. Why? Because they see the difference it's made in me, and they see that there's something better for them. Now, that may be done instantly. It may take years. I can tell you, right here in our congregation, Van, his wife Anna is in the back. When, when they came out of their lifestyle, and it was, it was just like some of the rest of us have lived, but when they came out of that, their friends deserted them initially, but now you see those friends coming back. See, those friends have followed their lives for years, and now they're watching, and they're saying, you know what, that's what I should have done years ago. It's a big difference. We're going to talk about the word influence in just a few minutes, in just a very brief way. But we have influence over people that we never thought we did. So, it's important then that we be separated from sinful companions. But I want to throw now, just because I've gone a little long in places, let me just group these last three together. They'll be seen as separate slides, but let me throw them together for you. So if you're taking notes, just write these down. Not only should we be separated from sinful companions, but we should also be separated from sinful occupations, sinful places, and sinful practices. If we separate ourselves from these things, then what's going to happen in our lives? Now, you may be thinking, Tom, if I do that, man, it's just it's going to mess me all up. I mean, I'm involved in an occupation that I have to do things that are wrong. But unfortunately, if I quit that job, if I separate myself from that job, then, then all of a sudden, I've got a real problem paying my house payment, my car payments. I've got a real problem keeping my family up. That's an issue, isn't it? It's a real issue for us. And yet what I've come to realize in my life is that God always honors those that honor Him. God always honors people who honor Him. So then if I'm doing something, I'm going to a place, or I've got a friend, or I've got an occupation that's causing me to do things that's affecting my relationship with Jesus Christ, then by all means, I need to separate myself from that. And if it's an occupation, and it's going to create a financial hazard, then that's where my faith really kicks in. God, you see what this is doing to our relationship. And I can't continue in this place. And so I've got to stop. I've got to separate from this. Does that mean that all of a sudden you'll inherit a windfall of money and you, all your problems will go away? No. No, in fact, you may have to sell your house and downsize. You may have to sell your cars and drive clunkers. But God says, I know what your needs are. And I'm faithful to meet those needs. I'm faithful to take care of you where you are in your life. Some of you are involved in 
occupations that you're kind of on the line, you question it. And, and I just want to point out, too, just because I know that there's a lot of you here. In our audience, we'll have military people and we have police officers. And there are times your job calls upon you to do something that the Bible says you're not supposed to do. And understand, when the Bible talks about not lying, not killing, uh, not uh, uh, being deceptive in nature, the Bible is talking about in our day-to-day -day lives. I believe that with all that's within me. Our day-to-day -day lives are supposed to line up with the will of God. But there was a different standard laid out for us in the uh, Old Testament for the matter of warfare. When we were involved in battle, when we were fighting the enemy, there was a different tactic laid out as seen through the lives of Joshua and the children of Israel. There was deception used. There was people who died in the process. And you say, well, how do you bring these two together? It's like this. I, I want to just throw this analogy out for your consideration. Throughout the New Testament, God tells us time and time again that we are the bride of Christ. He puts it in a concept that we can understand. He wants us to see the relationship of us as believers to Jesus Christ. How Jesus Christ is to be so important to us as believers. And through that concept, if we catch this analogy, we can understand when something needs to be removed from our lives, it needs to be separated from our lives, or it's okay to continue to do this. Now you think about your own marriage. If there's something in your life that you're doing that is a threat to your spouse or it is a competition to your spouse, in competition with your spouse, you're involved in something, you're seeing someone, around someone, doing something that is a threat or competition to your spouse, what do you have to do? You have to distance yourself from it. You have to separate yourself from it. Why? Because your spouse is supposed to have this place of priority. Your spouse is supposed to be such a, a highly regarded prize that you have that you would not do anything to jeopardize that relationship. So then you judge things in your marriage. Okay, is this going to jeopardize my relationship with my wife? Is this going to be a threat to my wife? Is this going to be something seen as competition to my spouse? And if it is, we remove it. If it isn't, then it's okay. It stays there. You know, God wants us to view this in the same manner. He wants us to look at Jesus Christ as being so important in our lives that we will not do anything to jeopardize that relationship. And so then, if I'm going places that I know are wicked, I look at it and say, well, how is that affecting my relationship with God? Can I have the same relationship with God right here in this place as I do when I'm at church? The answer is no, then there's got to be a separation. You know, for those of you in the military and police officers, uh, you're called upon to do things in the line of duty that are uh, deceptive in some ways. Some of you are, are involved in capturing criminals and you have to be deceptive to them in order to get them to fall in line with what you're wanting them to do. The Bible opens this up for us so that you can be deceptive in warfare. Now, otherwise, we would not allow our military men to wear camouflage when they go to the front line because we wouldn't want to deceive the enemy into thinking they were not where they really were. <laughs> Deception. It's stupid to think about, isn't it? But really, you know what? It's not competition. 
It doesn't threaten God for us to do what he's called us to do. You know our police officers are actually ordained ministers from God. I don't mean they've been had, had their hands laid on, but God has called them out to do their job. And in so, God expects them to do that job in a way that brings the greatest good. Let me real quickly throw out our third point. Number three, why should we be separated? Well, number one, because the Lord demands it. Why should I be separated? Because the Lord demands it. We see Paul writing, he said to the Corinthians, he said, Come out from among them, be ye separate, says the Lord. This was a commandment from the Lord. And Jesus has told us the way that you know, people know your, my disciples if you love me. And the way people know that you love me if you keep my commandments. And so Jesus has commanded us to separate from those things that would destroy our relationship with Christ, would be seen as a threat to him. So we do away with that stuff. Number two, why should I be separated? Because my influence depends upon it. Now I talked to you a minute ago, I just mentioned the word influence. How we have such an influence over people's lives. That influence can be good or it can be bad. It just depends on how we live our lives. I, I heard the story recently of a man that had just come to know Christ as Savior and he was becoming part of a church family and he was asked to give his testimony and he said this, he said, about a year ago, I decided to see if there was anything real to this salvation stuff. And he said, I picked out a man that I knew went to church, a man that I understood that he told everybody that he was a Christian, and I watched his life for a full year. Full year. And you know what I found? That there is something real about this salvation stuff. His influence brought me to the place where I am right now. You know what I wonder? I wonder if someone decided to watch my life for a year. Or someone decided to watch your life for a year. What influence would be upon them? Why should we be separated? Because our influence depends upon it. Number three, let me just quickly touch this. Why should we be separated? Because our power depends upon it. You want to have the power of God in your life, then you've got to rid your life of sinful practices. Uh, Samson is a great example. Samson was a man who basically had it all. He was a leader of his people. He was the strongest man in the world. He was an incredible person. And yet, because he allowed sin to enter his life, it disrupted his relationship with God, and eventually it cost him his character, it cost him his position, and it cost him his life. You know, sin will destroy the power of God in our lives. So if we want to have the power of God, if we want to be a witness and a testimony to people in our lives, the only way we can do it is to be separated from the things that are going to destroy our relationship with God. So important that we understand what godly separation is all about. It's so important that we catch a glimpse of what it's like to literally have God first and foremost in our lives. And then to begin to examine everything else about our lives to see how does it measure up? Is it, is it affecting my relationship with God? And if the answer is yes, it's time to be separated from that. God wants a separated people. He wants that from you. He wants that from me.